So would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 20, as you're turning there, it's great to have Polly Carl Camber with us today. Polly used to run this entire church office 100 years ago uh, when we were getting started, and she is now in West Virginia and up visiting today. And if you don't know who Polly is, just look for the halo. You'll find her. She's here somewhere. But uh, we're so happy that you're here. I heard about uh, this guy that was in desperate situation because he thought he would go for a walk out in the Sahara Desert. And thought he could just go out and come back and it would be no problem. But the farther he got out, the thirstier he got. And he didn't think he was going to survive to get back without water or fluid. And finally he sees a vision up in front of him. He thought was a vision. was actually a man with a table. He said, great, he'll have some water. He finally makes his way to the table. And all the guy has is neckties on the table. And he says, uh, can I sell you a necktie? He said, no, you can't sell me a necktie. You can sell me some water. He said, I don't have water. He said, but this necktie would look very nice with the shirt you're wearing. And the guy said, you idiot. I do not want a necktie. I want water. He said, well, my brother has a very good restaurant five miles from here over those sand dunes, that direction. He has water. And so very difficult. He crawled away and went, went the five miles. And in a few hours, he's back at the man's table. He said, couldn't you find my brother's restaurant? He said, oh, yes, I found his restaurant, but he won't let you in the place without a necktie. <laughs> now, what's the moral of that joke? I don't know. <clears throat> no, the moral of that story is simply this. You don't know what the future is going to hold, but you better be prepared for it. And today we're continuing our study on end-time prophecy. And today in particular, we come to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 is perhaps what Charles Spurgeon said, the most overlooked chapter in the book of Revelation for Christians preparing to spend an eternity with God. Revelation chapter 20 is not heaven yet. Revelation chapter 20 is history that has not yet occurred on this earth. It's amazing. But it deals with what mankind has always wanted since the Garden of Eden. It deals with something we would call utopia, paradise. They make movies about this, don't they? People even move to paradise, California, hoping to have the perfect life and everything. What does that mean? We search for peace to come, for pain to end, for problems to go away. The truth of the matter is that something interrupted that first dream of utopia in a place we call the Garden of Eden... And you remember what short-circuited it. It was something called sin. Sin has disrupted the idea of paradise, the idea of utopia. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, the entire creation groans under the curse of sin that happened from the Garden of Eden. However, there is coming a time where there will be a literal utopia. And that time is coming previous to eternity. Previous to the time we think of in Revelation 21 and 22 where we'll be with the Lord forever. And the Bible refers to it as a thousand year reign. We refer to it as the word millennial. Millennial is not in the Bible, but then the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And the word Bible is not in the Bible. But you know what the Lord's describing as we look at it. There's coming this time where, where, where we will have an understanding of it. Let me review where we've been so far. Jesus Christ came and he died for the church. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been in a parenthesis, a bubble called the church age. And there's coming a time, I believe very, very soon, 
where Jesus Christ will fulfill Thessalonians 4.17, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, with what we know as the rapture of the church. And that will be followed by seven years of tribulation. And last week when I was giving you stuff like a fire hose, we talked briefly about the high points of that seven year of tribulation. And then following that, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ himself comes to this earth, this earth, and sets up a millennial kingdom. So today I want to talk to you about paradise. Again, not heaven. We haven't gotten there yet. And to understand this, you have to have an understanding of why this thousand years has to occur. Why in the world not just go to heaven? Go to heaven, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Just go straight to heaven. Well, the truth of the matter is, heaven can't happen without the millennial reign happening first on this earth. You have a layover on your way to heaven if you're a child of God. It's called the millennial reign. It will happen from the capital city of the world at that time that we know as Jerusalem. Today, Jerusalem is a point of conflict. The Mideast is a point of conflict. But during this thousand-year millennial reign, it'll be the most wonderful thing in the world. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, he said something. Do you remember this? He said, let them rule. Let them take dominion over the earth. Theologians call that the dominion (coughs) covenant. Excuse me where mankind was going to rule God's creation on this earth. And that role got interrupted by Adam and Eve and Satan when Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they disobeyed God, leading to the deterioration of the earth. And when that sin happened, some consequences of that. You know, people say, I can do what I want to do. And always remember, you can. You just can't control the consequences of all the things that you do. And when Adam and Eve sinned, consequences began to set in. Lifespan began to decline. Marital conflict entered in. Murder showed up when one brother killed another brother, Cain killing Abel. The world becomes wicked. In fact, if you read beginning in Genesis, the first few chapters, it became so wicked and so vile that the entire world has to be destroyed by a flood. And because sin, sin literally cursed the creation that man was supposed to rule on behalf of God. And because of that sin cycle, there was no man and there is no man still today that could be found that could oversee the rule of the earth. So what God did was present Jesus Christ in human form, the incarnation humanly of God from heaven. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, don't go there, we're, we're told that Mary, the mother of Jesus, gave birth to a son who would become the seed of David and was to rule on the throne of God. You know who that son is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We know him as their savior. He has redeemed people for his namesake for the last 2,000 years. Millions and millions of brothers and sisters, just like you and me, we know in, in in the world knows us as Christians. But the time is coming, as I've said, where the Lord will remove the church and tribulation will fall on this earth and all hell will break out on this earth. We talked about it last time we were together of the bowl judgments and the, and the trumpet judgments and the, and, and the things that will happen during that terrible time. Each increasingly horrible consequences as it goes through. But Christians during that seven year tribulation period, stay with me. You're going to be doing something. You are going to be with the Lord in heaven. And you are going to be rewarded. 
You're going to experience the marriage supper of the Lamb previous to getting to Revelation chapter 20 and this millennial reign. It's going to be an absolutely incredible time. And you're going to be rewarded then over your faithfulness now. Did anyone hear that? You will be rewarded then over your faithfulness right now when, when, when we get to heaven to be with the Lord. So what you do now will affect what you do in the millennial reign. When, what, how you live your life and, and what you do will affect it or what you don't do will affect it. In Luke chapter 19, the Bible gives us many illustrations based on the faithfulness gained or lost that we'll experience during the millennial reign. And, and the Lord Jesus says that some will be over ten cities and, and some will be over five cities. i just like to be over Genoa Township. But, but, but people will be over different things. And then it says some will be over nothing at all because they, they were unfaithful during their earthly life. And, and all of this is setting the stage for when Jesus Christ and Christians will come back with him for a thousand-year rule of Christ known as the millennium. So stay with me, would you? I want you to imagine a world, just imagine a world where there's no depravity. For there's no crime of any kind, there's no rape, there's no lying, there's no stealing. These things are non-existent. There's no need for burglar alarms because they're no longer burglars. How many of you have burglar alarms or alarms of some kind in your house? I won't rob you. There's no need for gun control because there are no murders. It will be a safe to walk on a major city at midnight in a back alley as it would be to walk in an open cornfield at high noon in the middle of the day. It's a world where there are no prisons because there are no criminals. I want you to imagine a world where there are no disasters. There's no famine. There's no one going hungry. There's no drought and no one is thirsty. There are no tornadoes, there are no hurricanes, there are no flash floods like we're experiencing in California right now. For the weather and the climate is absolutely perfect all year long. I want you to imagine a world where there's no disease, where there's no hospitals because no one is physically sick. There are no mental institutions for there's no one struggling with mental illness. There's no need for doctors or nurses or surgeons, no medicine, no drugs of any kind, for everyone is perfectly normal and healthy. I want you to imagine a world where there is no longer death, where there is no tombstone, where there is no cemetery, where there is no coffin, no funeral homes, no weeping and wailing over the loss of a loved one because no one dies. I want you to imagine with me this world where the lion and the lamb and the calf and the wolf and the cow and the bear and the child and the scorpion lie down together in a perfect place. I want you to imagine a world where there is no devil. Can you do that? Where there is no evil. It's a world where there's no evil because the evil one has been removed. It's a world where there is no temptation because the tempter has been removed. You say, Frank, that sounds like utopia. It's better than that. I've just described for you what the Bible teaches us that will be the millennial reign with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 3,000 years ago, the prophet Daniel predicted and prophesied things that would happen in our time. First of all, he predicted the king is coming, and certainly the Lord Jesus Christ came and fulfilled that. But the prophet didn't stop there. Not only did he predict that a king was coming, but he also predicted that a kingdom is coming. Notice on the screen with me in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14 it says, 
Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And in the passage that we have before us in Revelation chapter 20, the first 10 verses, we have a marvelous description of what's going to take place during that time. And I want you to understand it. Because many of you perhaps did not realize that previous to the millennial reign happening, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Just one chapter previous to this, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's symbolic of a bride and a groom getting married. You may not think of yourself this way, but you are the bride of Christ. When Jesus died, he died for the church. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back with the church. And in Revelation 19, we will celebrate just as a wedding festival would be like, especially in Oriental and Mid-Eastern ways. But in Revelation chapter 20, we will fulfill our wifely duties. Boy, I can't believe I even said that. We will fulfill our godly duties as the bride of Christ. And much of that fulfillment will take place based upon how you live your life right now. Based upon how I live my life right now. I know last week I gave you so much stuff. It was like a water hose from a fire department coming at you. And today it's just a garden hose. But I would like you to write down some things as an overview that the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that will happen during this period of time. The first thing I'd like you to write down on the back of your bulletin is the removal of Satan is going to take place. Satan is literally going to be removed from this earth. It's hard for us to believe. Notice in verse 1 and 2. It says, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. I told you before about the little lady in Amish country, the first church I pastored, weighed about 75 pounds. She was 75 years old, and she taught fourth grade boys, and she loved this verse. She'd teach them, grab them by the nap of the neck. The devil's no good. The devil's no good. Say it. Say it. They're scared to death. They'd say it. They'd say it. But I want you to know there's no room for Satan in, in, in our Savior's kingdom, so he's removed from, this, from the scene. And I want you to notice in that verse that Satan is presented as a real person. I never cease to, believe, to, to be amazed at people who believe in God, but they do not believe that Satan is real. They don't believe in the devil. But all through the Bible, we can see the devil is revealed just as real as God is revealed. We're even given here through the various names of the devil his personal characteristics. Notice in verse 2 what it said. He's the dragon, that serpent of old, the devil. And Satan. And he's called the dragon because he's dangerous. He's called a serpent because he's devious. He's called the devil because he's discouraging. J.R. Kennedy, that used to be our youth pastor, he said, You just take the word devil and there's nothing good in it. Take away the letter D, you still have evil. You take away the letter E, you're still vile. You take away the letter V and you're still ill. Take away the letter I and you're going to go to L. So he had it all figured out. There's nothing good about the devil when we think about it. He's the accuser of the brethren day and night, the Bible says. He's called Satan because he's destructive. He's our adversary. He's an enemy that chooses and tries to oppose us at every turn in our spiritual life. And I want to say this to you. 
Do not ever make the mistake of ignoring the reality of Satan. You can't possibly fight, much less defeat the devil in your own strength. And especially if you don't think he exists. And too often, Satan is in the place in people's mind of a, of a cartoon character or a fictitious person in some fairy tale. Well, I want to tell you that that guy up north at the North Pole, Miss, he's not real. Miss Piggy is not real. The Easter Bunny is not real. But Satan is real. And Satan is like that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, and from the scene prior, from the Garden of Eden until the Millennial Kingdom, he's going to do everything he can to cause problem on this earth. And there are three things about Satan being removed that I want you to see. Number one, if you'll jot it down, when he is removed. We're given the first duration of his removal. It says he's removed for 1,000 years. That's literal years. And we get the concept of the millennial reign. The, the incarnation of the devil lasts during that time while Christ rules and reigns on this earth. And the truth of the matter is there are several schools of thought. I don't want to belabor them because I'm sure they're wrong and I'm right. Just kidding. But I'm serious. There are some people who belong to the school of thought known as amillennialism. That word on negates the word millennial. And it means that there's no millennial reign at all. They don't take the passage literally. They think that the writer, John, put it in there just to pretty up the story, to flower up the story. And, and so they would call themselves amillennialists. Uh, they believe the devil, uh, and on the other hand, has already been chained, and that group is called postmillennial. That uh, we're going to go through the whole part, and then Jesus is going to come, and the reign will be postmillennial. They believe the devil's been on a chain all this time. Well, if he's on a chain, I want to tell you, it's a pretty long chain. Amen? He's able to get away with a, a whole lot. And, and furthermore, they spiritualize the kingdom. They just say it's spiritual, as I said just, just a moment ago. And, and it also would be a mystery to me why our Lord, if it's spiritual, would take 2,000 years teaching us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in heaven. That day hasn't arrived yet, and it cannot arrive unless the Lord establishes his kingdom on this earth. That's the only way his kingdom will come to this earth. And then the post-millennial thinks it will be after. There are not a lot of people that promote this anymore, but that's still a philosophy and theology that's out there. The only problem, they believe that the world's going to get better and better and better, and that we'll preach the gospel, and we will usher in Jesus by making the world a more perfect place. The only struggle I have with that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice on the screen what it says. We're not going to get better and better. It says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of God, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And so one of the sure signs that Jesus Christ is going to come soon is that things begin to get worse. Things will get darker before they get brighter. They'll get, they'll get heavier before they get lighter. They'll get wronger before they get righter. And that's exactly what we see happening in the world. Charles Spurgeon wisely said, Apart from the second coming of Christ, the world is more likely to sink into a pandemonium than rise to a millennium. 
And then there's another school of thought that we teach here at Genoa, which is premillennialism. We believe that Jesus Christ comes before the millennial reign and will usher it in. We believe that he's going to establish a 1,000-year kingdom of peace and prosperity and perfection over this planet. And, and uh, the Lord is going to work in a powerful, powerful way. I heard about one guy who was so premillennial, he wouldn't eat, even eat post-toasties. He didn't want to cross the line there, you know. And, and I can fellowship with you if you don't believe in a literal kingdom, premillennial. These are not heaven or hell issues. But I think if there is no millennial reign, if there is no rule of Christ, why does the Bible spend 19 chapters in Revelation preparing us for that? So he's removed. The second thing I want you to write down is where he is removed to. From verse 3 it says, and he cast him into the bottomless pit. May I say this to you? Don't confuse the bottomless pit with hell. Hell is reserved. It's a place of judgment. He's in a bottomless pit. He shut him up and he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So the destination of his removal is the bottomless pit, not the lake of fire. And contrary to public opinion, Satan is not the Lord of hell. God is the Lord of hell. God is in control of absolutely everything. Hell is not the place where Satan wants to go. It's a place where one day Satan will have to go. But during this time, this thousand years, just think there's a special place of misery reserved for Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist called the bottomless pit. And literally the word there is abyss. Earlier, we're told that Satan had the key to this bottomless pit, and he opened the door, and some of these hellish demons came out that we, designer demons we talked about last week. Over and over, we're, we're told that the abyss is the place of, of incarceration, of foul, wicked, nasty, evil spirits. But now the angel of God has that key, and he binds the devil by the power of the crucified Lord Jesus Christ and incarcerates him in jail. The sentence is 1,000 years. The next question, why is he removed? Why does that happen? We're given the design of his removal. Notice verse 3 again. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the 1,000 years were finished. Now, that's an incomplete statement you'll see in just a few minutes. So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And uh, the reason why Satan is removed from this earth is so he could be taken out from international politics, from tempting and doing the ruin that he does. It is Satan that deceives nations to fight one against the other, pride and ego. Why do you think Putin is being such a stooge during all of this time? It's a pride thing. It's an ego thing. America boasts that we're the best at this and we're the best at this. And China says we're the best at this and we're the best at this. But there's not a moment in time that we don't have world powers that we're always on guard from. If I were to ask you what would be the world powers we most are concerned about in America today, I think you would agree that it would be Russia, that it would be China that it would be the master of terror, Iran, that it would be the juvenile nut in North Korea, things that could really cause us trouble in this country. These are things that always are before us. And it's Satan who deceives the nations and to cause wars and conflicts upon the earth. And the world will never have peace as long as Satan is on this earth. 
Will there be peace in the Middle East? Not as long as Satan is around. Every treaty, everything that you possibly can imagine is not going to happen until the Lord returns. Will men ever beat their swords into plowshares? Yes, but not as long as Satan is around. Will there always be wars and rumors of wars? Yes, as long as Satan is around, there will be wars and rumors of wars. And that's why he must be removed. Then I want you to see what's going to happen with us, the saints, the reign of the saints that will happen. Who's going to rule in this millennium? Who's going to reign over this thousand-year kingdom? Well, obviously, our Savior is going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. But under him, there are going to be vice regents. There are going to be saints like you and me that will be involved. And it's during this time where the Lord says that we will lead and we will rule. And I know it's hard to grasp, but it's such a big thing. But the Lord will prepare us to be able to do that. I want you to see, first of all, if you're jotting on the outline, the power of the saints that we will have. In verse 4 it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ For a thousand years, when the Lord Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, he's going to dethrone one group and he's going to enthrone another group. In Isaiah 24, it tells us of the group that he's going to dethrone. It says this, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the the host of exalted ones and on the earth, the kings of the earth. The Lord is dealing from both perspectives. First, he'll remove the host of exalted ones. Who is that? That's the devil. That's the demons. Do you know, even today, as far as we know, Satan has access to heaven. Do you remember in the book of Job that Satan came before the Lord? And God said, where have you been? I've been down on earth seeing who who I can trip up. And then he's going to remove the kings of the earth, all of those wicked rulers who followed the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. And then he's going to enthrone another group. That is the saints of all the ages who have loved our Lord Jesus Christ and we served him. Every martyr who has ever been beheaded, the Bible talks about, because of their stand for the Savior and their stand for Scripture will reign during this time. Every tribulation saint who refused to take the mark and to worship the beast will live and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. Some will rule large areas. Some will rule smaller areas. But everyone is a child of the king. Whether you're a prince, a ruler, you're on this earth, we're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next thing that I want you to see, not only are we going to reign with him, but there's going to be a protection of the saints. There's going to be a supernatural protection for us. Notice in verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You see, there are two resurrections that are going to happen. There's never in the Bible taught a general resurrection. There is a first resurrection and a second resurrection. And all the saved will be part of the first resurrection. And whether we're saved or lost, the righteous and the wicked will one day stand before the Lord. And Daniel 12, 2, it talks about the two resurrections. Notice, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
Jesus said it this way in John's Gospel, chapter 5, in verse 28. He said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And then there's a deeper truth. These two resurrections are separated by a 1,000-year period. The first resurrection, as I said, is for the saved. The second resurrection is for the lost. The second resurrection is found right there in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 13. It says, the sea, this is what we know as the white throne judgment of God. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. And for all of eternity, we see the concept of the first becoming last and the last becoming first. And all I want to say today is, my brother and sister, my friend listening to my voice, you better make sure that you're part of the first resurrection. It's coming up in the first resurrection that protects us from the second death. That knowing that we have a relationship with God. In verse 6, notice what it says. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. You say, Frank, what is the second death? Unfortunately, you find it in verse 14 and 15 in your scripture. It says, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that phrase, second death, literally means a second kind of death. In the Bible, there are two deaths that are talked about. There's a physical death that we will all experience because the Bible says that it is appointed to man once to die, but after this, the judgment. But there's also a spiritual death. And not everyone's acquainted that is acquainted with physical death will understand the separation of the soul and the body that takes place. The second death is that spiritual separation. And, and, and what all of this is telling you is this, that if you're born twice, you'll die once. If you have a physical birth and a spiritual birth, but if you're born once, you'll die twice. You will die physically, and then at the resurrection in Revelation 20, verse 13 following, there will be a second death into the lake of fire. And if you die twice, you'll find it would have been far better for you than if you'd have never been born at all. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where this, 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 this torment does not end for all of eternity. If you're raised first, at most you're going to die once. And if I were to do a survey, I bet 90% of you, rather than playing the lottery, are just praying and betting that Jesus will come so you can dodge that bullet also. But if you're raised second, you're going to die twice. And I'll not only want you to see the protection of the saints, but I want you to see, thirdly, if you write it down, the purity of the saints. Holy, holy, holy. You know, in Peter's writing in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter reminds us that this world is pre-packaged for destruction. And he talks about how people will live their lives. And, and then, but he says, but I want you to know that this world and the elements thereof are going to be destroyed with the fervent heat. And then he asked the question in the context of that same verse. He says, knowing this, what manner of persons ought you to be? What Peter was saying is, how should you live? 
Guys, if we know that Jesus Christ is coming back, and if we know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and if we know there's going to be a thing called the millennial reign where we'll be perfect with Jesus, Peter says, what manner of persons ought you to be? And what is amazing, like many preachers, he answers his own question. He said, what manner of persons are you to be? And he says, you are to be healthy and holy in all your conversations, which literally means your lifestyles. Holy, holy, holy before the Lord. And we see the character of those who enjoyed the first resurrection. Notice verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. If you're a Christian and you're caught up to be with the Lord and part of the millennial reign, you're blessed. I don't want to sound like a charismatic TV preacher, but just turn to your neighbor and say, I am blessed. Would you do that? I am blessed. And, and this one is going to be a little more difficult. Uh, it says you're blessed and what? Holy. It's going to be hard. Your wife will laugh, but turn and say, I am really holy. Will you do that? I am holy. The Bible says blessed and holy who has part in the first resurrection. And there, those words tell us the character of those that will enjoy the first resurrection. They have a happy state. They're blessed. They have a holy standing. And they're, bo- they're joyful because they're justified. They're holy and happy because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that loved us so very much. In this life and in the life to come, holiness and happiness always go together. You ought to write that down. In this life and in the life to come, holiness and happiness always go together and when we're talking about all of the things that happen with the saints i want you to see fourthly the position of the saints as you're looking at it in the last part of verse six it says over such the second death has no power you ever just been able to stand in front of a bulldog or a pit bull about three inches away from the chain and you know he can't get to you Well, Satan and death and hell have no power. It may bark, it may want to bite, but it can't get to you. Notice what the verse says. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. God's saints hold two offices during the millennial reign. We hold the office of king and the office of priest. There are kings, the Bible talks about, which is a spiritual royalty. And there are priests that refers to their righteousness. All through eternity, we have the sovereignty of a king because we're co-heirs with Christ. It's beyond our understanding. We're, we, we rule with him, and we're priests of righteousness. And think of all eternity like that. But then I want to bring you to the sad reality is that that pit is time rented for 1,000 years. And I want you to see the rebellion of the sinner. Now, sometimes people tell you, if you put the kid in the right environment, they'll not mess up. If you give someone a job, they'll never steal. If they're in a protected place, they'll always do the right thing. Well, there's no place more protected ever on the planet than what the millennial reign will be. But on your next point, I want you to write down the rebellion of the sinner that's going to happen. At the end of that thousand years, it's going to be amazing what takes place. And we're going to see there that one last confrontation between the devil and God, between the sinner that's even living during the millennial reign and the Savior between good and evil. And the confrontation takes place in three stages as we go through it. Number one is Satan's release. 
Satan is going to be released from that pit. Time's up. Let him out. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. For 1,000 years, he's been in a cage in solitary confinement. But suddenly that cage door is thrown open. And with a pent-up rage that has been brewing for 1,000 years, he leaps forth to deceive not just people, but the Bible says all of the nations. And that raises a very important question in my mind, and I hope in yours. Why on God's green earth is he released? Why has he allowed one last comeback? And I can answer that in three words. I don't know. Don't have a clue. It's above my pay grade. One of the best Bible verses you can ever sleep with when you have things that you can't understand is Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it says the secret things belong to our Lord God. This is just it falls under the, the sovereignty of God. And I believe this is one of those secret things that only God really knows. I like what one man said. He said, you tell, me, you, you tell me why God released the devil in the first place, and I'll tell you why God releases the devil in the second place. But he releases him because men are still men, and sin is still sin, and he knows still how to bring the two together. So at the end of the thousand years, there's one short, brief, final fling, one showdown, which he will strike out at both God, Satan will, and at his saints. He'll make an attempt one last time after the thousand years to establish him as king of this universe. And I want you to see the response, secondly, of the sinner, the sinner's response. Notice in verse 8. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. It's amazing when Satan comes back after a thousand years in confinement of absence, he's going to pick up right where he left off. And men will follow him just as eagerly as they did after the Garden of Eden. For a thousand years, these people who were born during the millennium obeyed God, maybe not because they wanted to, but because they had to. During the millennium, Jesus Christ will rule. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, in Daniel and Isaiah, that there will be babies born. In Ezekiel 36, I think it's verse 37, it says the world will become like the Garden of Eden again and babies will be born and people will grow. And if a young man dies at the age of 100, it will be a surprise. But these people weren't saved. They weren't converted. They're growing up in this millennial reign and they too will have to decide where they stand with the Lord. Psalm 66.3 says this, Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. In other words, they don't obey God because of their love for him, but they obey God because of his power over them. But finally, they get another chance to show their true colors. They get another chance to rebel against God who loves them and will give them eternal life if, if they would let him do it. And I believe this could be one reason why the devil is released, and that is to show that time does not change man's heart, and time does not change the devil's perspective. Someone said, well, what would happen if the devil ever got saved? Well, one, the devil can't be saved. He won't be saved. Scripture tells us he'll come out as angry as ever before. Both are incurably evil and in need of salvation. And this should prove to us once and for all that environment is not man's problem. It's what comes from, from the heart on the inside. And uh, once again, there's a vast army then of Satan's soldiers, the Bible tells us, that are mustered for one last battle. 
And we have to admit that Satan isn't a coward, that he's willing to do this. Like, like a gambler, he's addicted to the dice, and he stakes everything on this one last power play. He, he comes against the camp of the saints, all of the saved of all of the ages, but deja vu, Armageddon, is basically repeated over again. And we see that with the last thing I want you to see today, and that's the Savior's revenge. You say, does our Savior have revenge? Make no mistake about it. Don't only describe our God and our Jesus as a loving Fuzzy, wuzzy, wormy God. That is one of his characters. But he is also a holy God and a just God. And he will carry out wrath on this earth one day. Notice in verse 9 what it says. Uh, this, this fiery death of the sinner. It says, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Judgment is swift and sure. Just in case you didn't know, not one shot was ever fired. Not one shot will be fired. Not one saint is harmed. God simply turns on the blowtorch of heaven and wipes them out just like that immediately. Cremated everyone and everything in that time. And then there is the final doom of Satan. You have to see this in verse 10. This is the final. That was just, you know, sometimes in Franklin County, and I, I have the privilege, and I mean that literally, the privilege of meeting people that are incarcerated. And folks, that, that sometimes you hear the term jailhouse religion. They just get saved because they're stuck there. Some pe men and women mean that conversion. And I've had the privilege of visiting people who are incarcerated and talk to them about the Lord. But here we're going to see Satan. The, the thousand-year reign was just the county jail waiting for him to go to the heavenly penitentiary. In, in verse 10, notice what it says. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, totally different than what we talked about at the beginning of the thousand-year reign, was thrown into the fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. And finally, they're going to get what's due them. The lake of fire which was prepared for them in time beginning for the beginning of the fallen angels they receive Satan and the false prophet day and night forever. They will be tormented. I kind of like what Mark Twain said one time. He said, I'll take heaven for climate and hell for company. Well, you don't get that choice without the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. When I think about the fact that Satan is going to be gone for all of eternity, I think of the first two chapters in the Bible and the last two chapters in the Bible where Satan is not involved in this earth. And I think God for a book in the Bible that reminds us that Satan will be disposed of. You see, the verdict was rendered 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. Satan was sentenced, and at the chapter 20 at the white throne judgment and the battle that takes place at the very end, then that sentence is going to be carried out. I want you to know this, brothers and sisters. There is no president, there's no politician that can fix this earth. This earth will not be fixed until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. No political party, nothing can change it. And by the way, can I say this to you in closing? He can fix you too. He can fix your life and he can fix your heart. And if you've not surrendered the throne of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do so so that that kingdom of God comes inside of you as part of you, ruling over your life to know that you have forgiveness of sins, Peace in your heart and a hope for heaven. That gives you the, the tie to get into the kingdom. C.S. Lewis one time said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, 
The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And you were made for another world. And one day you're going to another world. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, that world will be a place of torment and suffering, just as Revelation 20, verses 11 through 14 describe. But with Jesus Christ, it is a place where there is no more sorrow, no more sin, for all the former things are taken away for all of time and all of eternity. But on your way to heaven, don't forget you have a layover at the millennial reign. How you will function during the millennial reign is dependent upon how you live your life right now. How you will be used by God in a powerful way. And some maybe have more gifts and more talents. And what's amazing, there'll be no jealousy. There'll be no envy. We'll all work together. But I imagine, Lord, what can I do now to make a difference then? Didn't Jesus say, lay up for yourselves not on treasures on earth, but in heaven? For thieves can't steal it and rust can't destroy it. And you can have a relationship with God. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, could I encourage you that today you can take that first step as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and draws you so that you can have victory in Jesus, not only on this earth, but in the life to come.